we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Let's take our Bibles and go with me, if you would, please, uh, to the book of 2 Samuel. We come now to the ninth chapter, 2 Samuel chapter number 9. And if you're just joining us, we are in the middle of a study in the life of David. I think we've sort of passed the middle by now, but we are in, in the study of the life of David. As we came last week to chapter number 8, we saw that the king David reigned over all Israel. And what characterized his reign and his rule was that it was a reign of judgment and justice. And, of course, we understand that the rule of David over the nation of Israel, uh, though it was a historical event, it speaks also prophetically of the reign of Christ when he returns upon this earth and rules and reigns for a thousand years. And David put down all of his enemies. He conquered all of the land that God had given uh, to the nation of Israel and and for the first time in their history, they occupied all that territory as the enemies were defeated and the king ruled. As we come to chapter number nine, we're going to get a glimpse then into the character and the nature of the kingdom. We know it was in judgment and justice. But we're going to find a different aspect of this king, of this kingdom and of our king uh, through the life and ministry of David. Let's begin reading in verse number one, Second Samuel chapter number nine. The Bible says, and David said, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called uh, him unto David, the king said unto him, art thou Ziba? And he said, thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel of Lodibar. Then king David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodibar. Now, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan my father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread alway at my table. 
Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servants, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we come to your word today, we pray that you would open to us the scriptures by your spirit. May we receive this truth. Give us understanding, we pray. Help me, O Lord. Fill me with thyself, Holy Spirit. Enable me to communicate your message in this hour and help us to respond in obedience to it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We notice a phrase that we find in verse number one, and also we find a very similar phrase in verse number three. We, we look with me first of all in verse one. And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness? Then we go to verse 3, and the Bible said, And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? What characterized the kingdom of David and what characterizes the kingdom of God? It is that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of kindness. And that's the message I want to preach to you this morning, a kingdom of kindness. This word that is described here for us and translated for us as kindness speaks of the loving kindness of God. In Psalm 136, that word is translated as mercy, speaking of God's mercy that endureth forever. You see, this term loving kindness means mercy, goodness, faithfulness, love, acts of kindness. Vine's Dictionary defines it this way, steadfast love, grace, mercy, faithfulness, goodness, devotion. When I read all of those terms and I think of this definition and how to communicate the loving kindness of God, here's what we find. It is indescribable. God's love, God's mercy, God's grace is indescribable. And this is the kind of loving kindness that characterizes our Savior and his kingdom. This word is used 240 times in the Old Testament. And as Vine says here, the term is one of the most important in the vocabulary of Old Testament theology and ethics. You see, I think so many people have the wrong view of God as if he's some cosmic force up in the heavens just waiting to hit you over the head with a billy club. No, he is a loving God. He is a merciful God. Now, let's be sure we understand he is a just God, and he is a righteous God, and he is a holy God. But he is extending his grace and mercy to all who will come to him. This is the heart of God. You see, David, David asked, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness? 
What characterized the kingdom of David? Kindness. What characterizes the kingdom of our Savior? Kindness. So as we look at this subject of the kingdom of kindness, we're going to note three characteristics of the kindness of God. Three characteristics. Number one, it is a seeking kindness. The kindness of God is the kindness that seeks out those who need it. And all of us need it. Secondly, it is ascending kindness. Uh, Once we have been identified as those in need of God's kindness, he doesn't just leave us hanging in our despair and dreadful condition and circumstance. He sends his emissaries to us to draw us to himself. Chiefly, he sent his son to us, and he has sent his church to a lost world bearing this message of loving kindness. And then thirdly, we're going to see it is a sustaining kindness. It is the kindness that meets our every need and secures our eternal destination. Now, as we note this kingdom of kindness, we see, first of all, that it is a seeking kindness. Look, if you would, again in verse number one. And David said, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? You see, David loved Jonathan. Jonathan loved David. Jonathan, of course, was the son of Saul. But Jonathan and David had a wonderful friendship and love uh, toward one another. In 1 Samuel chapter number 18, after David slew Goliath, Jonathan came to uh, an awareness, a knowledge, a wisdom, that, a discernment that his father was unable to see, that God had put his hand on this young man, David. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse number 3, Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. You see, that day Jonathan recognized that David was the anointed of the Lord. And Jonathan was the son of Saul. He was the one who was in line to succeed his father. He was... The prince, if you would. But Jonathan submitted himself and he saw, he surrendered to the will of God. He saw that God's hand was on David. And so Jonathan willingly, because he loved David and because he was obedient to the Lord, submitted to the Lord and he stripped himself of his royal garments and of his sword and his bow. And he gave that to David as a a symbol, as a sign, if you would, a gesture of submission and surrender, a recognition that David was the king. And the Bible said that they made a covenant together. There was no doubt that though Jonathan loved his father, he was loyal to the king. And now we find David at home, at rest, after the battles reigning over all of Israel, And as he is at home, he's thinking of those who had helped him. He's thinking of the wonderful friendship that he had with Jonathan and his covenant that he had to show kindness to Jonathan. And so he asks, is there one of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness? In 1 Samuel chapter number 20, after they had originally made this covenant, Jonathan was was seeking to help 
uh, protect David from his father. And in 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 14, these are the words of Jonathan to David. He said, and thou shalt not only while I yet live, show me the kindness of the Lord that I die not, but also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemy. And Jonathan caused David to swear again because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Uh, David's heart was stirred by memories of his friend and the covenant that they had made. David also remembered a promise that he'd made to Saul uh, in the cave in En Gedi when David had the opportunity uh, to end life or to end Saul's life, but he he refused to do so. He refused to give in to the temptation to do so because he feared God. And he said, I cannot touch the Lord's anointed. And when Saul recognized that David had the opportunity and refused to take that opportunity, Saul made this confession to David in 1 Samuel 24 and verse 20. And now behold, I know well that thou shalt surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine hand. Swear now therefore unto me by the Lord that thou wilt not cut off my seed after me and thou wilt not destroy my name out of my father's house and David swear unto Saul. You see this loving kindness that David desired to extend toward the house of Jonathan was a kindness that was based on a promise, a covenant that he made with Jonathan. It was also based out of the desire of his heart, his person. It was conditioned by the promise. It was conditioned uh, by his person. Remember in 2 Samuel chapter number 2, when David was anointed king in Hebron, what did he immediately do? He immediately sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, and he extended to them kindness. Chapter 2 and verse 6, And now the Lord show kindness and truth unto you. And I also will requite you this kindness because ye have done this thing. David is extending the terms of peace to the men of Israel, seeking to unite them to him. Of course, we know now as we come to chapter 9, that has already happened after the long war. The Bible says that during that long war, that struggle between the house of Saul and the house of David, that the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker, and the house of David waxed stronger. And now David, in the position of strength, extends mercy and grace to those who would have been identified as an enemy. We come back to our text in chapter 9 and verse 2, and the Bible said, And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. No doubt somebody knew Ziba and said to the king, Yes, I, there's somebody left. We, we can talk to Ziba and see what he knows. And so they called him unto David. The king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel in Lodibar. You see, as far as we know, at this point, David had no knowledge of the son that Jonathan had, the son named Mephibosheth. 
And so here's a, a joyful discovery for David. He's excited and happy to hear this news and immediately he wants to show his loving kindness to Jonathan's son. But he learns that this boy has a great need because he is lame on his feet. Now, if we go back to 2 Samuel chapter 4, we'll find out what happened to Mephibosheth. In 2 Samuel chapter number 4, uh, we read, of course, of uh, the fact that Ishbosheth, after he found out that, uh, that, uh, that Abner had been killed, the Bible said he, his hands waxed feeble. And we, we see again here, the house of Saul was waxing weaker and weaker. But in chapter 4 and verse 4, we have the details surrounding Mephibosheth. The Bible said, And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. You'll remember that Saul and Jonathan were killed by the Philistines. That's in the final chapter of 1 Samuel. And when that happened, the men of Israel fled. And the Bible tells us here in, in verse number 4, And his nurse took him up, one who was caring for Mephibosheth. She took him up and she fled. And it came to pass as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. Now we understand this boy at this time was five years old. It's been about 20 or more years before David learns that he exists. And we find that this young man, in fleeing for his own life, as his nurse took him up, he fell. There was, a, there was obviously a great fall because he was crippled. He became lame on both of his feet. And as we've noted several times, as the house of Saul represents for us really all that man can do. Remember, Saul was the king that the people chose. And the house of Saul waxing weaker and weaker really reveals to us that all that man can do, the best that man can do is not adequate. We see that on display in our world, don't we? We see that on display in our country. The Bible said evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We see that happening all around us. And this house of Saul was waxing weaker and weaker, and the earthly Saul's had failed, and all of our Saul's have failed us. There is no strength that we possess that will enable us to stand before a holy God. We, like Mephibosheth, in our sin, are lame. We have no leg to stand on, no strength to walk. No power within us to please God. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, for when we were yet without strength, while we were lame, while we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. He said, are there not any? Are there not any? in the house of Saul that I can show kindness to. Aren't you glad we have a Savior who so loves us that he's willing to seek us that he might show to us his kindness? 
We see secondly here that this kindness of God is a sending kindness. David having learned now that Jonathan has a son. But he's a son in need. He's lame. How's he taking care of himself? Well, he's living in the house of this man, Makir, who was probably a, a loyalist at some point to Saul. He's living on the other side of the Jordan and in a place called Lodibar. And so David said, well, look, I'm glad to know that he's alive, but we got to do something to help him. So go get him. Look at verse 5. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Aren't you glad that when God learned about your dreadful condition, by the way, he didn't have to learn of it. He knew it from the beginning of eternity, right? He's known us since the foundation of the world. But he wasn't content to leave us there. He sent his son to seek and to save that which was lost, to make the payment for our sin, to bear our burdens, to become acquainted with our griefs so that he might be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Aren't you glad to know that? He sent and fetched us and brought us out of the miry clay and set our feet on a solid rock. Praise be unto God. David didn't leave Mephibosheth in the house of Maker. He sent for him, he fetched him, he brought him in as the Lord brought us in from our sinful condition. Now, David sent some men after him. David sent some people after him. And by the way, the Lord has sent some people after those in this world who need uh, loving kindness. Do you know who those people are? They're the people in the kingdom. They're those who have received the loving kindness of the Lord. That's you and I. Do you know that God has sent you and I to a world of lame people who need Jesus? And you and I who have strength, who sit at the king's table, who know the Lord is our savior, who have a home in heaven, an inheritance incorruptible that fadeth not away, you and I have been commissioned to take the message of God's loving kindness to a cruel, wicked world. Jesus said in John 20, verse 21, as my father has sent me, even so send I you. In Mark 16 and verse 15, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In Matthew 28 verse 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. You see, that's the job of the church. That's our responsibility, friends. Go, go, go to your friends. Go to your family. Go to your neighborhood. Go to your community. Tabernacle Baptist Church. Hey, we're in the business to go. We're in the business to go. And extend the loving kindness of Christ to a lost and dying world. Now notice what happens here in verse 6. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Now, when, when, when Mephibosheth came to Jonathan, he was afraid. 
He was in a condition of fear. Now remember who he is. He's the grandson of Saul. Who was Saul's enemy? Well, in Saul's mind, it was David. But David was not the enemy of Saul, was he? Imagine what this young man was told about David. His thinking was off. And by the way, have you ever talked to people about the Lord and they really don't want to talk about him? And their view of God is some skewed, unbiblical view of a wrathful, vengeful God who will have nothing to do with them. This is the approach that I believe uh, we find here with Mephibosheth. He's afraid. And the, and the king utters these words, comforting words, fear not. There's nothing to be afraid of. For I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake. I can imagine at this point, Mephibosheth's ears perk up a little bit. He knows my dad. He and my dad are in a covenant together. And he said, I will restore thee all the land of Saul, thy father. Here's a boy who could have been king. Now he's a lame man on the other side of the Jordan. He's lost everything he has. Everything that would have been his. And the king said, I'm going to restore it to you. Do you know what the devil did in the Garden of Eden? He took away everything that was ours. When we rebelled against our Lord and Savior, when we rebelled against our Creator, uh, we lost all that we had. We had to be removed from the garden. We lost our inheritance. But everything that was lost in Adam has been restored to us in Christ. Not only that which we lost, but even more. He said, I will restore thee all the land of Saul. But it just gets better, doesn't it? And thou shalt eat bread at my table. How often? Continually. Continually. You have a place at my table, Mephibosheth, and you don't ever have to leave it. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to sustain you, and you'll never lose that place. By the way, David knew what it felt like to lose that place because he had at one time a place at Saul's table, but he lost his place. Now he's giving these terms to Mephibosheth, terms of loving kindness. Now notice Mephibosheth's response. Verse 8, and he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? What a humble response. Now David had used this expression when he was running from Saul. He said, Why have you come out against a dead dog as I? Now he hears Mephibosheth refer to himself in this way in humility, with an awareness that he, as a lame man, a former enemy of David, has nothing to offer him. By the way, you and I have nothing to offer the Lord. But in spite of that, he loves us. He became a recipient of the loving kindness and unmerited favor of the king. Let me give you a third characteristic about the Lord's loving kindness, this kingdom of kindness that you and I are, are a part of. It is number three, that it is a sustaining kindness. A sustaining kindness. Now, if you are Mephibosheth and you're a lame man and you find out that you're getting all the land 
that your grandfather once owned, it's all coming back to you. Maybe you're thinking this way, what in the world am I going to do with that? I can't even walk. I can't farm that land. I, I can't take care of the, the animals. What, what in the world am I going to do? I don't have any servants. Well, there were servants that he didn't know about because there was a man named Ziba. Now notice what the Lord does for him. Verse 9, Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, according to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. Now I have an idea that Ziba wasn't really a very faithful and loyal servant. And I think that's going to prove itself out when Absalom rebels against David. And Ziba lies about the character of Mephibosheth. And I, I thought as I read this passage, I thought, why in the world is Ziba the servant of Saul not with Mephibosheth taking care of Jonathan's son? I don't know the answers to all of that, but I find here that God says through the king, Ziba, you're going to take care of Mephibosheth. And by the way, let me just say this to all of you who are like me, a lame man, and like Mephibosheth, a lame man. God is going to take care of all of us. We don't have to worry about how it's going to happen. I mean, if we choose to occupy our mind with those thoughts, we can worry ourselves to death. Or we can learn to trust in the king who has showed us his loving kindness. Ziba, I'm giving you a new commission. Take care of the land. Till it, harvest it, and it belongs to Mephibosheth. Then we see not only David's commission here to Ziba, but we see his compassion on Mephibosheth. Notice it here in the very middle portion of verse 11. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. He's got a place with my boys at my table. Alan Redpath, in his book, The Making of a Man of God, said that Mephibosheth found acceptance and abundance with David. Accepted how? As a son. The Bible said, to as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become what? The sons of God. God has made us his sons. We are accepted, the Bible says, in the beloved. We have a place at the table, and it is an abundant table. David would later, or perhaps had earlier written, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine own enemies. And he said, my cup runneth over thou hast anointed my head with oil. He found their acceptance and abundance. The man who was alienated, the man who was away from David, the man who was afraid of David, finds in David acceptance 
and abundance. Isn't that a picture of what Christ has done for us? He has received us. He has forgiven us our sin. He has made us a part of his family. He has given us a place at his table. Paul, writing to Titus, said it this way, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers lusts and pleasures, living in malice, envy, hateful, and hating one another. Does that not describe modern-day America for you? Hateful, hating one another, envy, divers, lusts and pleasures, various, that word divers means. That's the world in which we live. And Paul said, such were some of you. But then he says this, but after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness by which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. We didn't deserve it. It was, as the choir sang earlier, only by grace. I can see Mephibosheth up there, can't you? I can hear him singing. Not a single thing of merit could I claim as my own. For my sin brought separation between the Savior and my soul. But the blood poured out at Calvary washed away the guilt I bore. Now I stand in full forgiveness, a child of God forevermore. It's only by grace I have been saved. Not of works, but the cross made a way. I've been pardoned. I've been changed. My Redeemer took my place. I don't deserve it. Yes, it's only by grace. It's a sustaining grace. I've got a place at the table I cannot lose. And I've got a supply at that table that will never run dry. You say, well, pastor, what are we going to do in this economy? We're going to trust the Lord. What are we going to do when our country is going the direction it's going? We're going to trust the Lord. We're going to trust in the loving kindness of God that can never let us go. And we're going to be messengers of that loving kindness. So in conclusion, let me just give you four quick ways that we need to respond to this loving kindness of God. First of all, we must receive his offer of kindness. Have you received it? God loves you. He, he, he doesn't hate you. He's not looking for an opportunity to hit you over the head. He doesn't want to make you miserable. He came to save you. He came to save you. He wants to desire, he desires to, to demonstrate his kindness to you. So what must you do? Well, you have to accept your condition. You're a lame person. Without strength. A sinner. And so you must repent of that sin and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Receive his offer of kindness. That's the first thing. Secondly, rejoice in his kindness. Al Smith wrote that song, I've never lost the wonder of it all since the day that Jesus saved me and a whole new life he gave me. I've never lost the wonder of it all. But I have to admit there are times for all of us when it seems like we have. It seems like we have. We have lost the wonder of it all at times, right? 
You know what we need to do? We need to think about the wonder of it all, that he thought about us, that we were on his mind through eternity past. The Bible said that Jesus Christ, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. What joy? I'm talking about the joy of knowing that you would come to him. You were on his heart and on his mind throughout all eternity. And in that moment of anguish, that dreadful moments of anguish and separation on the cross, what was he thinking about? He was thinking about the glad day when his loving kindness would be received by you. And friends, we ought to rejoice in that. We ought to thank him. We ought to praise him. Those who were afar off have now been made nigh. Those who were lame have been made whole. Those who were strangers are now sons. Those who were lost and forgotten have been found. Those who were dead are alive in Christ. Rejoice in it. Thank the Lord for his kindness. Let me give you a third thought. Rest in his kindness. Rest in it. Are you a recipient of the kindness of the Lord? That loving kindness, that unmerited favor, that grace and mercy that cannot let you go? Vines, in his definition of this term, loving kindness, said there are three words that really characterize it. He said those words are strength, steadfastness, and love. It is the love that will never let us go. Therefore, we can rest in it. I was on a little walk this week, and I was listening to Spurgeon on my phone. You see, there can be good things your phone brings to you. And it was the biography of Spurgeon, and he was talking about the struggle that he had with sin and temptation. And it really encouraged me because I identify with that struggle. In fact, Paul identified with it in Romans chapter 7. And Spurgeon talked and he spoke and he encouraged my heart concerning this matter of the loving kindness of God, that it is steadfast love. It is not conditioned on me. It is based on his character. So I can rest in it. When the doctor gives me bad news, I can rest in it. When my employer can't pay me anymore or doesn't want me on the payroll anymore, I can rest in it. When my candidate doesn't get elected, I can rest in it. When it seems as if the world is falling apart, I can rest in his loving kindness. The Bible says in verse 13, so Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem for he did eat continually at the king's table. And was lame on both his feet. God took care of him. So rest in his kindness. And then let me give you the fourth thing. Relay his kindness. Reflect it. Demonstrate it. Communicate it. Be an agent of his kindness. You see, as a recipient of his kindness, you've been commissioned to be a messenger of it. So you have a responsibility to be kind and reflect the nature of your king. Do you know an unkind Christian? Don't name them. They might hear you. <laughs> Have you ever walked in the church not to be greeted with a smile but a scowl? 
Look, let's not lose our kindness. You see, when we, when we forget how good God's been to us, and we become sort of entitled, like we deserve something, that's when we lose the kindness that ought to characterize us. That's why Paul wrote in Ephesians 4 and verse 32, and be ye kind one to another. Boy, that, that can be challenging at times, can't it? Do you know where the breakdown of that kindness comes most often? At home. You know, my wife said something to me the other day that really bothered me. I didn't like it at all. She said, you're hateful. You know what I said? No, I'm not. <laughs> it's like a thousand daggers penetrate me when she says that. You're hateful. I don't need to be hateful. I didn't like what she said. But I had to admit, maybe it's true. She's been waiting to hear that for a few days, I'm sure. <laughs> We ought to be kind at home. I confess to you, I'm not. Always. Most of the time, perhaps, yes, but not always. We let our guard down at home. But that's the place where we need to embody the Christian life. Our kids are watching us, right? They want to know if it's true or not, if it's real. And it's made real at home. It's made real at home. It's made real in the context of this church and the way God's people treat one another. And be kind one to another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Has someone offended you? Said something about you? Hurt you in some way? Overlooked you? Forgive them. Don't carry a grudge. Forgive them. Be kind. Now, we need the help of God for this, right? And you and I both know it's hard to do, right? That's because we're lame. We need the strength of the Holy Spirit to enable us and empower us to stand and be kind. Let's reflect this kindness at home. Let's reflect this kindness in the context of the church. And let's carry this kindness to a harsh, cruel, unkind world. Have you watched as these people who hate God turn on one another? They have no mercy. They have no grace. And they're just left in shambles in this cancel culture. We have a king who doesn't cancel people. He gives them life and he receives them. And we're the messengers of his kindness. So may God help us to be kind. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, 
as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.